0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. I want to start today um, I want to start today by reading the whole passage of Nehemiah 6 and then we'll kind of break it out and, uh, and I'll share with you really the aspect of this. I asked a couple questions uh, regarding this as I posted on Facebook. Um, and I think it's... I don't know how much I'm going to touch on it 100%. I mean, whether it's going to get 100% on all those areas, but I'm trying. So Let's read this. Nehemiah 6. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecapharim and the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. It was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you have said have been done, for you inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from their work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, uh, Deliah, son of Mehet, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the twenty-fifth day of the month of Elul in fifty-two days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son of Shekinah, the son of Era. And his son, Johanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berachiah, as his wife. As they also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. Okay, so I wanted to read all of that mess. It seems like a big mess, a big old thing, for a reason. Because there's a lot here. You know, over the last few weeks, I've, I've kind of struggled through it. I, I've kind of picked it apart. I've kind of trying to figure out which direction to go because there is so much here in relation. But for me, as I pray through it, as I look at it and I pray through it, uh, I just want the Lord to speak in, through this, whether it be the current circumstances or things that might come our way, how we respond. And that's the whole thing. What a, We have a Christian Reconstructionist perspective. What that means is, That we have a worldview, a way of looking at things, so whether we're in the midst of it or it comes our way, we need to have an answer for everything that we have, and that's why I want to look at it in this perspective. I'm not saying specifically that you couldn't read this and go, okay, I see what happened. It's more about the application. Why is it there? How can it be of good use to us? And so there are several several areas of application, many more that we can cover coherently this morning, but... um, uh, so we're going to take on a few. Okay, so here it is. So how are we to respond? It's kind of one of these questions. I didn't tell you to go ahead yet, but it's okay. Uh, how how we to respond to those who seek to hurt our reputations, our families, or our livelihood. How do we respond to those who continually bear false witness about us? This is where I want to kind of take the direction because it's it's happened to myself and others lately. And I thought, oh, what a great way to get a, give a message on how to answer this or how to respond. First, responding to enemies inside and outside the church. Now, I, I probably would be criticized for this because someone would say, listen, how dare you call your brother in Christ your enemy? They're your brother in Christ. You need to pray for them. You need to bear with them. You need to do all those things. Yes, but when they act like an enemy, then they should be treated like an enemy. And then we do. We do. We pray for them like we pray for our enemies. Yes, but we also call them to say when they're against those things or when they talk about us in such a way that's scathing and and scandalous and, and false. They bear false witness against us. Ninth commandment, they break. Then how do we respond to this? We respond to enemies inside and outside the church. One, firstly, our greatest enemy, and we've got a lot here to cover this morning. I'm just letting you know, our our greatest enemies and combatants tend to be those closest to us, and I need to remind us of that because those who are really are closest to us, they they know the good, the bad, and the ugly about us, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. You'll know who Mm -hmm. your enemies and your brothers are very quickly. I know people who call themselves my brother. But then when things go awry, they go and blab every area that I have confided them of sin or struggles that I've had, and they go blab it out in public. That's not a brother or sister in Christ. That's someone I consider an enemy or a combatant. It's hard for me to say I love you as a brother when someone hates me as if I am an enemy to them. So one of the things, when I share something with somebody... That means I trust them, and there's a confidence in that that I need. I, I need some, some sometimes. I need people to pray for me beyond that, and I've seen it in, in beyond my own life, but other people's lives where people feel that they need, they have the they have the next t- tasty morsel to give someone. And so I want us to look at this: our greatest enemies and combatants are those closest to us. Matthew ten tells us Jesus says. Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be of those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want us to understand that what Jesus is talking about is, listen, when you when you do what we go to the well, some of these other passages, when you look at what what's going on in these lives and what's going on in these people's lives, those closest to us are going to be our greatest opposition. I mean, I've had family members say that you're obviously, you're, that's cultic. that's that You're like a cult in what you believe. That's like, so having... A very defined belief about something makes me a cult. It sounds to me like if the if the truth is always changing, or you can believe whatever you want to believe, you just got to follow a certain way or way of doing. That sounds like a cult to me. But when you know that it's God's word and it's true, and it's not the words of a man, then it doesn't sound very cultic to me. Well. He told us, he says, your enemies are going to be that. And and really, if you look back throughout passage of Scripture, church history, I mean, the first Christians, first century Christians, many of them were turned over by their own families. It was prophesied it would be done that way, but it was. And he didn't come to bring peace amongst everything. Peace cannot be had just because you get along. There will always be something that will cause a division in, 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 in a time. And he said, I, in Christ following Christ is going to be one of those. Matthew 13, verses 53 through 58, he said, When he had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And is, are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did, the, did, did this man get all these things? And they took offense at them. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I want us to think of this. This is this is our very own Lord in this midst. And people who know Him, who obviously knew He lived a sinless life, He knew these things. He comes prophesying these things. And He comes to preach. And they you know, who is He? He's just a carpenter, son. He's just this guy. And if you ever experienced that, if you ever experienced going home to a group of people who knew you as a child, And they treat you as that person back then. It's really bad when you live a life that you're ashamed of in the past and you go back and that's what people remember you for. for. And they find it very hard to believe that you're that same guy Mm -hmm. or that same way. That you're not. Because deep down, they know that's who you are. You're just putting on an act, right? See, here's the thing. Our worth, just like our salvation, it's not... A is not determined by our name, our family, our wealth, or anything else, but it's in our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say how we relate to Him. And I'm going to say how we're related to Him, I guess. That's why I'm using the word relationship. It's not about He's my personal Lord and Savior type of relationship. It's mean that He's not your personal. He is the Lord and Savior. And this is our relationship to Him. It's a very simple thing in Romans chapter 8. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You can put it back up there if you want to. Make sure everybody writes it down. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if if by the Spirit you'll put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have entered the spirit. Uh, re- you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs. Amen. And if we are heirs, heirs of God, we are also fellow heirs with Christ, Amen. provided we suffer with Him, in order that we also may be glorified with Him. See, that same relationship that we have, those, those, those enemies and combatants, they tend to be closest to us. They sometimes tend to be family. They tend to be lifelong friends. There are people who we've worked with for years, and as God continues to work in us, they notice it, and they many times, they want to be our greatest enemy or greatest person who's going to come in opposition to us. And I want us to remember that our worth is not determined by our past, it's not determined by our present. It's not even. De- it's not. Our worth is not determined by our, our future. It's determined by our relationship with Christ. He has given us a new name. The old is gone. The new has come. A new creature is there. And so that's the thing is we are new in Him, and we are now hit part of His family. Secondly, Secondly, our enemy's goal is to distract us from the purpose and call of God. And this is where I'm going to break down Nehemiah six this morning. Our enemy's goal is to distract us from the very purpose and call of God. I know I keep coming back to this, this actual aspect of the purpose and call of God. I'll reiterate the purpose and call of God on our lives as Christians. But that's one of the things that comes up. The enemy's goal is not just to oppose us, but to distract us. And this is why I said sometimes our enemies are inside the church as well as outside the church. Because they want to distract us with little foolish arguments. Nehemiah 6, verses 1-4. through 4, Let's remember, what did they do? Let's just, if you can put it up there, Grace, but I want, us, I want us to look at what were they doing? Come have a meeting with us. I'm going to tell you, as a, as a pastor, one of the things that I hated the most is having meetings. And you, when I first started as associate pastor, a member, for years, we, church after church, we had meeting upon meeting. And I got to this place where I spent most of my week, most of my evenings in meetings somewhere or on Sundays. I'd be at church from 7 in the morning to 9 or later at night. Because between having the services and the meetings and everything else that went on, it just took up all of your life. And the thing is, is these guys, they wanted him to what? Come meet with us. They They had ill intent, yes. But let me say this. They knew that if he was not there, the work wouldn't go on. See, so our enemy's goal is to distract us. So A, our enemies try to also assert a false authority over us. They were basically saying, you need to come, this thing you're doing needs to stop, you need to come meet with us. But they intended to do him harm, didn't they? They, That's what Scripture says. They intended to harm him, whether they intended to trap him, to kill him, to imprison him, whatever it might be, Ultimately is to discredit the work that he's doing. That God has called him to. Now listen, I find it interesting, and I want to go back to this, some of these these these, these things, but there's a false authority. Like they could come for whatever reason. They felt that they could demand that he come. They were persistent, weren't they? Yes. The first four times he gave the same response. Now we'll get to the fifth fifth time in just a second, but I want us to think about this. Luke 20 gives a good example. The scribes and Pharisees, scribes and chief priests sought to lay hands on him talking about Jesus, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, as so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Perceived He perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. So he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and God the things that are God's. And they were not able, able in the presence of people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Now I want to say this, there's a lot of teaching on this aspect. But I want to tell you, um, <clears throat> when they ask a question, when you ask such a question, he get he, he point out, who is your Lord? That's really all. Is. That's really all the question is. It's not about taxes. It's not as much about giving taxes and doing these things. What well, is he's saying, whose inscriptions on your money? Who do you, who do you hold? What what is the debt? We also know the root of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? So when we look at it. Look at the topic at hand. What do they what do they hold? What do they hold dear to their hearts in their money pouch. Is what They're holding the very image of their Lord. And he said, you well, won't give to Caesar what's Caesar's. You give to God what is God's. What does that tell us? We'll, we'll get to that just a Now I know, it says in Psalm 20, that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Here's the thing. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See, our enemies come to us with false hopes or false treaties and false uh, all, all types of things to try to encourage us to be to compromise the work that we has for us to do the purpose and call that's all it was is, it comes down to it if you will come and meet with us what just come and meet with us they knew what would happen the work stops the purpose the call of God the defense is down all those things and they can discredit him. The thing is, is some trust, some worry about chariots, and some wor- worry about the rulers and authorities. But we are to trust in our Lord, and that's what I want to come to. Our enemies want to have a false authority over. They, they say, I had a, I had a, a man this week, just flat out saying I, he wouldn't answer a question. He's like, well, you know, you pay taxes, don't you? And I'm like. You pay taxes and you do this and this, and I'm like, whoa, 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 it has nothing to do with the truth of what we're talking about. Just because I pay taxes does not mean there is a legitimate authority over me. The, 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 the civil magistrate not necessarily a legitimate authority. I do this for what reason? No difference in my Lord doing what? Yeah. Topeka or whoever go catch a fish and take what's in the mouth. I, I pay it to appease, but does that mean it's a legitimate authority? Nope. No. That's what we come down to is, we render to Caesar what is his. Well, what is Caesar's? Absolutely nothing except apart from what God gives us. We know that next that next verse that's there is what? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to the Lord. And if we come with the right perspective, it doesn't matter how much our enemies try to distract us, it doesn't matter how much they try to assert a false authority, we understand that all these things that we have and all that we do belongs to Him. We can't let the things distract us from the purpose and call of God. And Jesus, reminded, we reminded even in the past weeks, so we talked about it in Matthew twenty. He talked about how the rulers of the Gentiles worried over them. That's not legitimate authority. Just because there's rulers does not make it legitimate. Just because we have a president doesn't make him a legitimate authority over us. I mean, I'm sorry, but we I understand that what Romans thirteen says. I understand that God gives us these people and they have a job. And when they do their job, we ought to say, you know what? When they do their job well, we ought to commend them. When they do it poorly, we ought to rebuke them. Yep. Because they're men. They're men, they're women, and that's that's this reality. They're sinful men and women. They have a chance that they might fail and be faulty. And for people to say, how dare you question my president? Listen, I'll question him just as much as I will praise him when he does the right thing. So we need to keep those things in perspective. We remember that our enemies try to assert a false authority, and that we have only one Lord. Ephesians 4 talks about that. That we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is in all and through all and in all and all. And that we have to understand there is one God. There is one Lord. Anything else becomes what? It's an idol. It's a false worship. Secondly, under, under that, under part two, is we must keep our eyes on the Lord and, and His purpose in front of every step we take. Keep our eyes on the Lord. And keep his purpose in front of every step. You know what I I thought was interesting is is Nehemiah's response to them. He says, listen, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And then four times they did it. But he said, What well, I'm doing an important work. And everything that I'm doing, I keep the purpose of the Lord and his call in front of every step that I If I stop, everything stops. Because he led from example. We know that such things like we've we've quoted in the last few weeks in Psalm one nineteen eleven and in verse one oh five he says, I store up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He talked about how His word is a lamp to His feet and a light to His path. Everything, the call and purpose of God, those are the very things that move us forward, day in and day out. When we don't know anything else, we know one thing to be true: to have this one purpose—to to know the Lord and make Him known. We know that Proverbs three verses three through eight says. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment. To your bones, and I would say this so often because of the distractions that come our way, because so many who oppose us, want to distract us. Most of the reason why we're not fruitful in the work that we have that God has given us is not only because we're distracted, but we don't keep our eyes on Him and keep Him at the forefront. We think that the other things the little distractions. We think we have to answer every Facebook post. We think we have to answer everybody's little antagonistic questions and all those things. That's not true. If you hold true to the fact that God... Is real and His word is true. We go to Romans one. We tell what they are without excuse. They know that He is real. They know His truth, and yet they deny it on purpose. And so, when we come to that, it's reassuring for us, and it it gives us the ability to what? Keep our eyes on Him. Keep His purpose in front of every step. We realize that that purpose is, we remember the purpose is the Great Commission. What? To make to disciple the nations. To baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe or to obey everything He's commanded. We have a job in every little thing. In, in, in every little thing that God has given us, what do we do. We keep that purpose in front of us. Every step. And when the distractions come, we can turn to people and say, Listen, I don't have time for these meetings. I don't have time to argue with you. If unless you're ready to put up or you put up or shut up, you know, my, my father-in-law always reminded me of one thing. He said, if you have a complaint, you better bring a solution with you. Instead of complaining about what someone's doing or their inability or the inability of the company or the situation to, bring, you better come with a a solution. Because people who complain, that's all they do is complain. They only see the negative. Pop, good leaders, good thinkers, good workers always come with a solution. They always keep their hand to the plow. They keep moving forward. And and when they see a fork in the road, they're going to say, listen, we got a tough decision to make, and here's this fork. These are the directions in the past. They might not know exactly where it's going to lead down the path, but they're going to make it notice. And I, listen, we need to send someone ahead, or we need to do something. But here's the thing: good leaders, good helpers, always are on the purpose that God has set for them, set for them. And we remember that that we are called in in Hebrews twelve. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight. Listen to this: every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Let us get in the race. Get on the track. Get busy running the race that God has set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We run with endurance the path, the race that He has. And what is that thing? We're looking for the goal. We keep our eye on the finish line, which is whom? It's our Lord and Savior. In James, we talk about it. Talks about something. Let me, just a second. Let me think. Let's let's look at this. The thing is, is we only, according to James, have a very short period of time to make our make our mark. And people who seek to distract us do it so that the work doesn't go forward. And the reality is, it's not about making a name for ourselves. But James tells us what. Come now you say, Today and tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So when it comes to this, we only have a small period of time. To make his purpose and his call known and to do that. So when that small time of our lifespan, our midst of a life, we have a very direct... We don't have time. That's what I want to get across to anybody. Anybody hears this and hears this and says, Listen, we don't have time for these distractions. Now there's a difference between if someone's saying, Listen, the road's out ahead. That's a different type of thing. But when someone's complaining about the method or the way it's getting done, if it's getting done at the work of God, the call of God is getting done as He has called us to do, then get out of the way and let me do the work. You know, even those who were, it was even said, even those who were doing it for, for uh, were preaching Christ for personal gain, what was the response? Well, heaven forbid, thank God, at least the word of God's being, the gospel's being preached. Because God can use even a fallible man to bring the gospel. Yes, that even means God can use a Joel Osteen. Because a lot of those people who come to Christ, who truly come to Christ, they don't stay there very long. They find their way out. I know several people who went to church there, and that's where they started. They recognize that when they got into the Word and they believed what it said was true, as they quoted every time at the beginning, they realized it didn't say what He was saying. But they knew the Jesus of the Bible. It was the first opportunity. So whether someone does it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, praise God that the Word of God, that, that, that Christ is preached, and that people, by according to the Word of God, according to His Holy Spirit, come to Him. And thirdly this morning, our enemies will seek to malign our work with lies. Our enemies will seek to malign our work with lies. Now, I want you to remember as you're, you're writing that in, I, I don't even have to go to the verse. I want you to think about what happened. They said, though, so he sent him a letter a fifth time. He said, Listen, this is what we're going to spread about you. Rumor has it that you're setting yourself up as king. Rumor has it you even have paid-off prophet's to prophesy that you're to be king. Rumor has it you're going to take over all this. And we're going to and the thing is it's going to go to the king that who sent you with all these things and you're going to you can get your your honey kicked. You're going to be in big trouble. Wow let's think about this when when people decide to try to malign the work that God has given us if we have nothing to be ashamed of let's first remember this we can only expect to be treated like like our Lord we expect, expect to be treated like our Lord Some people have even said when people when people openly try to malign you, they're just giving you free advertisement. There's a reason why. I'll go to the next point in just a second, but you'll see why. But Matthew ten twenty five it says, It's not enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and if the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Mm-hmm. If you're truly following the path of Christ and what God has done, has called us to do, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if people will try to malign your work that God has given you with lies. Don't be surprised if they treat you like our Lord. You know the goal of the goal of Christianity is not persecution. The goal of Christianity is obedience to the Lord. To love Him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves—that's the, really the purpose behind it. We make Him known. We disciple the nations. We teach them to obey. The ultimate thing is, is but don't be surprised if, if they treated Him within His own family, within His own hometown. They persecuted Him there. They 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 turned against Him there. When we don't be surprised when those things happen, that we get treated like Him—it's good things sometimes. It doesn't feel good. But understand, it's a good thing. The B of that was we must not give our enemies ammunition. And this is one of the things that, in the day and age of uh, of social media and so forth, especially on my phone, I can screenshot anything someone says, and I do because I I like to go back. I save articles that people write and I go so I can go back and read them. I go and screenshot some of the things they write because when they're inconsistent, I'll go back and privately remind them of what they've said or what they've written in the past. And so you want to make sh- but, but the thing is, is, people also screenshot and take things out of context and use it against people. Sometimes they, they end up in these situations where they're constantly talking about things that they need to be quiet about. We must not give our enemies ammunition. First Peter four says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For that for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give—they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There are certain things I don't join in with people. I'm very cautious about how I join in with people. Uh, sometimes there's only one person that really needs to be uh, re- doing the open rebuke of certain things. Sometimes when you jump in, you look like you're you look like you're uh, their their little puppet, and that you follow them. I've been accused of that before, but I will tell you this: I want to I want to understand. Sometimes we need to be quiet, and we need to be careful and not give ammunition. Sometimes you just need to hear the whole thing out, then you can say, then you can come back and talk to them. Sometimes when we publicly do things that are supposed to be privately taken care of, we, we will reap the rebuke. It doesn't matter if the person was in the wrong or not. Sometimes when we, we, we privately uh, correct someone when it should be publicly corrected, we, we reap the benefits, of the, not the benefits, but the destruction that comes from that as well because that is what is happening in, in, in the day that we live in. Don't give your enemies ammunition. And Titus 2 even goes beyond that He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That the what? It's not even about that you won't be malign. What? That what? The Word of God may not be revealed. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So that it does not matter if the enemy or the opponent or the adversary comes from within the church or from outside the church that they be ashamed by looking at the history, the true history of your life. There are many men that do not heed the proverb pride comes before destruction. Mm-hmm. See, what's what's worse than someone who has had an affair? Let's say a pastor that's had an affair with someone. What's worse than that? The fact that he denies it and lies about it, right? Even when he's caught, even when it's documented, and people years and years later come back and see the same documentation. It takes, and what he what happens in these circumstances is, listen, we ought to let our integrity and dignity in our preaching and our teaching and everything that we say and we do should be there and there is even integrity and dignity and repentance before men how can a man be reestablished in the faith or even over a teaching ministry or preaching minister or missionary how can he be reestablished if he the one way is the truth the truth of the the matter is is how is when he repents before God and he repents before man, acknowledges sin and turns from it. That's what repentance is. There's much forgiveness. People will re- will forgive. People will not overlook necessarily. They will look at that and they will move forward with you. But when someone lives an unrepentant lifestyle, they live in sin and continue to deny sin. It creates this place. We ought not give our enemies ammunition. But rather, we be a model of good works. That's men, women, young, old. Look for ways to constantly be putting godly, righteous deposits out there. And when the unrighteous deposits are made, we go in there and we repent of those and we take care of that and we move forward. See, we must also give an answer, but we must not lose our focus. Thing is, is when enemies come come at us, when they try to malign our work with lies, we can't just always ignore. it. There's two things that I've I've learned, and I agree, there there's I wish this person, I wish the person would have done it differently, but or said it differently. I was told early on, don't let anything roll off your back. I was raised, let it roll off your back. You tell like, hey, look, just 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 have thick skin, just let it roll off. Then I had another man, a mentor in the faith. Who said, don't let it roll off your back. You need to let even lies bother you. And the thing is, is then I, I find a happy medium there. I go back to I go back to Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. There's a time when you need to let it roll off. There's a time when you need to let it stick. Because the thing is, is sometimes when things stick, it's because it might be true. Or it might be a perception that you have created. And I've been I've been guilty of that. But that's what Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, "No, you listen. Y'all, y'all bringing these lies. You just you fabricated you're in your mind. This is what it is. Listen, I, I'm going to answer you. There, they, you know. And this is how it is. I, you know, you're just it's a figment of your imagination, and that's it. Well, Proverbs 26, even verses 4 and 5 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like your, him yourself.' Then it turns around verse 5, it says, Answer a fool fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. See, there's a time and place to answer the fool, to answer the lies. When a fool is being foolish, and and they're just being foolish, and ultimately in and of themselves, if you just argue with someone just to argue, what happens? You look just as foolish half the time. It looks petty. It looks childish. Immature. And I've seen some very respectable men sometimes make fools of themselves, not int- intentionally. But then there's other times that we what we answer the fool according to his folly, so he's not wise in his own eyes. Especially when they're leading others astray. Especially when they're speaking out publicly and leading others astray by their lies. They must be corrected. If it's a public thing, it needs to be corrected publicly and stopped immediately. You know, if someone wants to call me a fool for that, go let it be. But the church has also been known as a band of foolish people at times. Because they did that which men thought was foolish. But it was righteous and holy and glorifying to God. First Peter 3 tells who. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Goes on also to say, says, the reason why I put the focus there is what Luke 9 62 says. Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. So we can answer the fool. We can answer the critic. We can answer those who are bringing lies against us. But we must make sure that distraction is not there, that we continue to move forward on the path that he has for us, keep focus on those things. You can't, and if you understand, whether it be the person plowing, if they keep looking behind them, the animal might go astray. But here's the thing. It's no different than mowing with a tractor on a long easement like we have. Uh, you mess up, you're going to have to turn around and go back and cut it. And it's gonna, you know, it's, it's one of those things. So if, you, if you're if you always looking behind you, you could run into something. If you're always looking behind you, you're going to go off track. It's all those types of things. Fourthly, watch out for enemies within the confines of the church. And This is why I'm going to go ahead and address this. They always encourage you to choose safety over sacrifice and self-preservation over self-sacrifice. <clears throat> I recently, I'll put it out there, I, I, I don't really care, I, I felt like I was given a warning in the last week or so that I need to be careful about my associations. that the reputation of others might ruin my reputation. I'd rather be in a band of brothers of, who are strong and outspoken than be in a band of cowards who do nothing for the faith except talk about it. I would rather be around men who are actually changing the world and actively changing the world, making disciples, making the, the Word of God known than people talking about what they experienced years and years ago. Remember the, the theme passage if you put it up there, what happened? He went and this, this guy who's supposed to be a priest or a prophet or whatever is trying to get him to come into the temple and, and come into safety. Hey, they're coming for your life. What does that mean? What do, What do they mean by that? If these guys are coming what are they going to do? Were they just going to take Nehemiah's life? Do you really think that's what was going to happen? He'd probably taken everybody. But it really, here's the thing, when you look at the whole matter, were they actually coming? No. It made him look like what? made it look like he was afraid and that he wasn't trusting in the Lord, he was trusting in whom? Himself. and His protection. He would have made him look like a foolish, faithless man. For people who didn't believe, don't believe that the Holy Spirit existed or moved among men prior to Pentecost, this is another good example. Yep. Because no one came to him and says, Hey, I think they're plotting something. The Holy Spirit within him directed this. He said here, he said. Uh, for they coming," he said. "They're coming to kill you by night." But I said, "Should a man as I run away, and what man such should I go into the temple and live? I will not go in." But I understood and saw that God had not sent him; it's the Holy Spirit moving in him. But he had pronounced a prophecy for what purpose? For pay. You know, it, under the law, that man should have been struck dead. Because he, he's not—that's worse than anything else. He's prophesying a false prophecy, and he did it for pay. It's even worse. That's <laughs> me bearing false witness. But I want us to see this. Let our example, a let our example, always be Jesus. We're almost done. Let our example always be Jesus. We were told in John ten, verse ten to twelve, said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them uh, the true shepherd the good shepherd the one who is the true leader the true follower of God Those who he leads people in paths of righteousness who, whatever it comes down to a true one does not run in the face of what? in the face of defeat or in the face of the enemy what do they do? they stand firm even if it means laying their own life down their own reputation down everything that's what a true leader does it does not hide behind councils, behind closed doors. It does not go to the next person in order to get a better hearing or a more favorable uh, outcome. It, these are people, let our example be this, stand firm on the truth and be willing to go down the ship just like the captain. Jesus said in John 15 This is my commandment that you have, that you love one another as I have loved you Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends And you are my friends If you do what I command you Our example has to be of the man the man who is our Lord and Savior who came and lived a sinless life and lived a victorious life, lived a perfect example for us that we are to lay our lives down for others. And listen, we, the thing is that so many people aren't willing to let their reputation be put on the line their their reputation or their their perception of others is more important. Sometimes you just have to go the full the full way through. John 1 first 1 John 3:16. We know we know by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth, and that's a whole thing. Is Jesus didn't just give a philosophy of life, which is what people purport him to be—a great philosopher and teacher. He's not. He was one who did the very act that he called his people to do, and he laid his life down as a propitiation, as a payment for our sin. Amen. No, what we need to do is when people call us out to safety or self-preservation. We need to call them out for who they are acting like. And Jesus did that very same thing in John 8. He told them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And you might have to tell someone who is a brother and sister of Christ, listen, you're not living to listening to the one you've called Father who has saved you and set you free from sin. You're listening to the Father of lies. In fact, you're telling His lies over and over again. I had to, I had a private conversation. Now, I won't go into the whole conversation, but I had to have a conversation with a man privately to say, listen, you, you, there are some things that you will never get truth from the horse's mouth. There's a person or a people, they, sometimes these people lie. And they're going to continue to lie, and they're going to build upon the lie. And the reality comes down to it is, listen, I have seen the words, I have heard the words, I have been part of this, and I might be nobody, but I'll tell you right now, i lay my reputation down, because that's what I was accused of, that's what I said, that that I was told that I'm going to lose my reputation over these things. Listen, I will lay my reputation on the line to say, I know what is truth, and I know what is a lie, and this man is a deceiver and a liar. And when I say something like that, you better be ready to pay the price. Because I will lay my life down for my friends who are walking in truth, even though it's a hard truth to walk through. And when those people who come and they they come around and what do they want to do? They want to call you. Listen. Just listen, you just need to be quiet about these things or your reputation is going to be squandered, your good reputation. Listen, my good reputation is not because of what I have done. It's not because of, of anything I can fathom. That is what God has done in me and what He's allowed me to do. And if my reputation is tarnished by Him, they will be judged for that tarnishing. And I will not be ashamed one day when I stand before Him for standing on the truth of His Word the last thing is very simply finish the work just finish the work I love the end of this chapter you listen carefully I love the end of this chapter what does he say what does he do he says so the wall was finished. How many days? 52. 52 days. Now at the time of these letters coming the wall had not been finished yet, right? But when he says the wall is finished, what does that mean? The doors have been hung. What does that mean? What is he saying to them? Bring it on. The work had been accomplished. And he knew, what happened with all the people around them? What happened? They feared, for what reason? They knew that the work that God, the work that had been done, could not have been done except with the help of God. And they feared and here's the thing. Here's some things I want you to see. What happens when God starts moving mightily? Does a great work? They tried to malign it the whole time, and I'm reminded of the Scripture. If God is in it, who can stand against it? Remember, uh, Galileo or whatever, Gamaliel. He says in this in, in, in Scripture when they were talking about the things of, uh, of, of Peter and John and the disciples. He said, "If God is in this, there is nothing we can do to stop it." They recognize that if it's of men, it will fail. If it's of God, there's nothing we can do to stop it. But I will tell you this. When we could finish that work, what happened was these people started talking about what God had done. And they were afraid. you know why? Because this God who opposed these others who were in opposition to the work of God, here's the thing. They had signed their lives away and their allegiances away to these evil men. And they were concerned regarding the, uh, the possible judgment, I believe, of themselves. And I think this is what comes on. It says, he says, For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah, these are the people of God, were writing whom? Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to They were writing back and forth and saying, what are we to do? These nobles, some, some, remember some of these nobles that wouldn't even lift a finger to help and many a Judah were bound by oath to Shabai that means they had to lay their lives down for him rather than the people and they're concerned about the coming judgment that could come upon see when we follow the purpose and the call of God great things are done and when it comes to it, I believe it will leave many despair. I believe it will leave many people concerned about the judgment of God. And when we talk about the judgment of God, we are supposed to be what? We're called to behold. Judgment needs to start with the household of God first. And it doesn't matter how many how many times people speak of, as it says here, they spoke of the good deeds, of, of Tobiah's good deeds and his presence and, and reported. But here's the thing, he said, he reported my words to him every time. Nehemiah would go back and respond to his true deeds. And Tobiah didn't heed. We'll find out other things that are coming, right? Tobiah didn't heed, and he would try to send letters to threaten. But what is his what is his what is his only recourse? When the wall is built, the gates and the doors are set, what can Tobiah only do? Write letters. <laughs> he writes letters. He has one option. Yes, you're right. He has one option left. Is repent. But all only all the power he has is he's taking paper and putting marks on paper and trying to write. He can't do anything else because there's nothing that can stand against the work of God and His people who are obedient. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.